I'll just tell you that today I come to this task even a little more humbly than I normally do, which is, uh, which is saying something because it's a pretty humbling task. But I, I know today that there's nothing I can do, there's nothing that I can say that can make the tragedies of the last week seem less tragic. And even though I have some things that I think are important for us to understand and some truths that we need to take hold of, I know that nothing I can say can make this feel okay. And so you're going to leave still with some dissonance in your mind and some confusion. And frankly, I just, I just can't answer all these questions uh, the way that, that, uh, that I would like to or, or that you would like me to. You see, as we tackle this topic of where's God when evil wins, and again, we've had this plan for months and uh, I'm just amazed at the foresight of God. Uh, but, but we know that even before Vegas this week, that we've, we've been in the cycle of hurricanes and earthquakes and uh, tornadoes and landslides and wildfires. And then there's all of, the, all of the division in our country and civil unrest. And there is you know, looming threats of nuclear war. And all of this is going on. And it really looks like, it really feels like evil's doing pretty well these days. Right? You know, let's feel that. And so today, as we wrestle with this question, where is God in all of this? Where is God when evil wins? Uh, we're going to take your questions a little later on. Phone number's up here, I think. And, uh, and uh, you, can, you can text in your questions now or, uh, we'll answer, or later. We'll answer them. I'll answer them later. But before we dive into this topic, um, as we wrestle with this, I just have to call something out. We know that God isn't ultimately responsible for this stuff, right? We know that. Jesus says that there is an evil one who is active in the world and that he is seeking to destroy everything beautiful that God has created, everything beautiful that God is doing, that it's, it's his fault. Ultimately, we lay evil in the world at his feet. There is a difference between causing something and allowing something. And it's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference, isn't it? And yet I know that we also... That doesn't fully allow us to let God off the hook either. Um, if we say, okay, God didn't cause all of this evil. He didn't make anyone do anything bad. He, you know, there's, okay, there's an evil one. But, but still, why would God allow this all to happen? Why wouldn't God stop it? Why wouldn't God prevent it? Why wouldn't he thwart the plans of evil? Has that crossed your mind this week? <laughs> no, it's crossed mine. And, and, and yet I'm reminded, as I've asked that question, I'm reminded that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of moments this week alone that God, maybe every day that God has thwarted evil. He has protected me from it. He has stopped the, the effect of evil from, from having its full weight on me. And I just, I just don't know it. I don't see it. And yet, when evil gets through the perimeter fence, when, when evil makes an assault like it has this week, it's only natural for us to ask why. You know, why does God let evil win? Psalm 73 is a, a part of the scriptures that uh, it gives some answers, but I think even more than answers, it gives voice to, I think, what a lot of us have been feeling this week. Um, in verse 6, it says, speaking of evil people, this is how the psalmist is reflecting as he looks around the world. He says, therefore, pride is their necklace. Again, speaking of the wicked. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Get this, their evil imaginations have no Limits. I mean, how many of you have had a thought like this this week? And you go, the, the evil that people can imagine, how do, they, how do they even come up with plots that evil? How, how, does, how, does, how, does, how does the thing in Vegas, I mean, how do you dream something up 
that evil. Uh, Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff, they speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Again, I mean, these are words that I probably thought or prayed this week. And yet, 3,000 years ago, there was a psalmist who was writing these words down. And, and then he changes in a later verse and talks about how that affects us and how that shakes our confidence sometimes. We say, he says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Right? So, so there's no point to this. This seems meaningless or empty to keep my heart pure and to wash my hands in innocence. Like, what's the point of trying to be good? What's the point of being godly? It doesn't spare you suffering. And there were some good and godly people who lost their lives in Vegas this week, and good and godly people who who lost everything in Houston, and good and, right? I mean, it it just seems to happen. And and so what's the point? Is there no purpose to being pure? Is there no purpose to trying to live a righteous life? Instead, here's what we find all day long. I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. And that's before cable news could tell you about all of the punishments inflicted on the world every morning, right? We open up our phones, we turn on the TV, we see it every morning, You're going to have an opportunity to study Psalm 73 in depth this week. If you get our Growing Deeper study and you spend 15 minutes in it, you're going to walk through that psalm and it's it's really powerful. It's going to open up some insight for you. Uh, But today, I I want to divert us a little bit, intentionally so, given the events of the last week. I want to look to the person who I think has the best chance of answering these questions for us. And it's not me, it's the person of Jesus. Because in Luke chapter 13, he is confronted directly with the problem of evil in the world that he was currently uh, living in and ministering in 2,000 years ago. And he gives us some answers that I think can be, can be really helpful to us. So in Luke 12, he's been teaching crowds about all kinds of things. In Luke chapter 13, these crowds present a, a question or an issue to him. It's like they were doing their own Q&A that, that weekend at, uh, at whatever church Jesus was speaking at. And so it says, now there were some present at that time in the crowds who told Jesus, and really they were asking Jesus, but they told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now we don't fully know everything that is going on here, but um, we know Pilate. Some of you have heard of Pilate, the Roman governor who... Um, is known probably to most of us because he was the one responsible for crucifying Jesus. Um, if you study Pilate, you find out that he's not only known for crucifying Jesus, but he was a pretty cruel and harsh man. He did a lot of things. He was, he was, a, he was not, not a good guy. And what we find out here is that um, there was a, 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 apparently this issue in their day where there are some Galileans, people who lived in the north part of Israel. That's actually where Jesus was from. They traveled down to Jerusalem to worship to prevent their sacrifices at the temple, uh, present their sacrifices at the temple. And so um, it, it could have been Passover or some big feast. And so they go there to worship, but they had done something that upset Pilate or Pilate was mad or in a bad mood that day. And so he sends soldiers into the temple and, and he, these soldiers kill these people, these faithful people while they're worshiping in the temple. And you think not only is that, is, that, is that just cruel and wicked, it's flagrantly disrespectful. This is the kind of man that Pilate was. And all of the people who know about this, who've heard about this, they're asking Jesus now. And they're saying, Jesus, explain this. How does it happen that the, these good people, they travel all the way to, to worship and they're offering sacrifices to God and, and, and Pilate comes in and has them mowed down while they're worshiping in the temple so that their blood is mixed with the blood of their sacrifices. What's going on? And Jesus answered them. 
Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And apparently some of them did, and that's why he asked the question. And here's his answer. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he goes on into another current event. He says, or what about those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? So a tower in the city of Jerusalem fell over, killed some people. Uh, He says, "What, what about those people? What do you think about those? Do you think, he goes on, that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. I find it so interesting that Jesus has two examples here. One of a, of a, of a wicked man who does something violent and evil. One of, of more of kind of a natural thing, a natural disaster. A tower just happens to fall over. Not necessarily anyone's fault. It's a freak accident. And yet 18 innocent people, their lives are, are lost. And Jesus in both circumstances, an evil person, evil circumstances, um, he, he gives the same counsel. He says, unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, maybe that's not the answer you came to church looking for today. Maybe it seems a little out of touch or um, unkind. And maybe the questions that people were asking back then are a little bit different than our own. And yet, in Jesus' teaching here, I actually think we can, we can derive some things. We can take a few things that can help us begin to 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 maybe in some small way understand where God is, what he's doing when he allows evil to triumph. And so first, when evil triumphs, the first thing Jesus says is that God is urging me to deal with my own evil. When evil triumphs, God is urging me to deal with my own evil. This one's going to be difficult. Maybe might feel a little offensive to you. But so often when something happens... Like in Vegas, uh, we start psychologizing the perpetrator. And we say, you know, what's, what's that guy's dysfunction? What happened in him? And our hope is that if we can figure it out, if we can explain it, it makes us feel better and we can also prevent it. Or when we look at some of the natural disasters that have been going on, there, there, are, even, there are even preachers, right, who are saying, well, I mean, I remember this with Katrina, that, uh, that well, you know, Katrina wiped out uh, New Orleans. Well, New Orleans, that's for the Mardi Gras, God is judging them. Or, or people even said this, you know, this last week. Well, Vegas, it's Sin City, a bunch of gamblers, a bunch of, a bunch of sinners, a bunch of Trump voters at the concert, whatever it was, right? We, we blame the victims. We blame those and, and say, man, maybe they did something wrong. Or uh, we get, you know, we try to find solutions and so we turn to politics or policy. It's so interesting to me that in both cases, human evil and then evil that just kind of happens in the world, Jesus instead turns the focus squarely on us. Unless you repent, you too will perish. See, Jesus says that when evil happens in the world, one of the things that God really is urging us to do is to deal seriously with our own evil. Now, as a pastor... Um, I, I get to see some things. I get to see life a little differently than, than what most of us see. I, I see behind the scenes a lot. So you see the veneer, you see the outside story. I, I get invited into the inside story, and that's a really humbling thing. Sometimes it's a scary thing. And one of the scary things that I've discovered is that there are some really good people, godly people, sincere, um, God-seeking people who end up doing really awful things in their lives. And, and here's the thing about each of those people, it all starts with something small. A little skimming off the top here, 
A little bit of experimentation with different substances here, a little bit of pornography here, a little bit of unchecked anger here. And, and those things start small, they seem innocuous, they seem like no big deal, but they, they bloom, they blossom into something horrific if we're not careful. See, Jesus' reaction, his response is, take a look inside of yourself. We get so caught up in the evil around us. Jesus says, instead, deal seriously with your own evil. The, the, the anger that lives inside of me, the hatred, the prejudice, the pride, the lust, the greed, all of those things that seem like no big deal. And I, you know, I'm too caught up in what this crazy guy does at the Mandalay Bay, right? I'm, I'm going, well, that's evil. That's evil. And I take my focus off of what's going on in here and I look there, but Jesus says, no, put your focus back here because if you ignore this, if you don't deal seriously with the evil that lives inside of you, no matter how small it is today, it will bloom, it will blossom, it will grow. And his whole, his whole uh, talk here uh, says that if you don't repent, if you don't turn away from it, if you don't deal with it, you will perish. That thing will grow so big inside of you that it will threaten the very life that God has created you for, that Jesus died for you to have. See, maybe the reason God allows evil to get through sometimes He allows evil to triumph. Maybe the reason is so that we will take a moment and we will deal seriously with our own evil, which I know it seems small, but if unchecked, it will become big. And so often we we talk about evil and we think about it as, as being out there and we say, God, why don't you do something about the evil in the world, not realizing that if God came and did away with evil, that would mean he would do away with us too. Because there's good in us, but there's also evil in us, and we have to deal with the evil. Second thing that Jesus teaches here is that when evil triumphs, God is driving me toward true security. Psalm 73 says a lot about this, but this is Jesus' call. Unless you too perish, uh, unless you too repent, rather, you will also perish. See, we live in this, in, this, in this part of the world, this weird bubble in the world, where unlike most people on this planet where we've got home security systems and walls and lots of police and we've got weapons and we've got you know, metal detectors and, and, and we can begin to believe that we're actually safe here, that we're living in a world that's secure. And then something like this week happens and we're reminded that we're not. Or we can build our houses of the best materials in the safest locations and then a hurricane comes and acts like, hey, that, that's nothing. And just knocks it down. And suddenly we realize that, that what we have here isn't really secure. And while we get so surprised and insulted by that, Jesus told us this is how it would be. He says clearly, he says, this world is passing away. And yet we don't want to hear that. We don't want to believe that. And we live as if it's not true. We live as if this world's going to be here forever. And we try to make ourselves safe and secure and happy here as if it's going to go on forever. And I wonder if sometimes Jesus seems to imply it in Luke 13 that the reason evil gets through is so we can be reminded that this world is passing away, but God's intention is that we would not pass away with it. Just think for a moment how unloving it would be of God to hold back all evil, to prevent all evil from ever, ever rising until one day in a poof the world passes away and everyone's caught off guard. You'd be like, what happened? This was great. And instead, what does God do? God, God allows evil to break through sometimes. 
And it's a reminder to us that no matter how safe we make ourselves, no matter how secure we can make our world feel, our part of the world feel, we're not truly safe here. But, but, there is a way for us to have true security. And it comes through Jesus, right? We're talking about a a security in life, yes, Um, a rescue, reconciliation, forgiveness, the promise of companionship that he will walk with us through all things, even, even the most horrific things that we are not alone, but he's, like the 23rd Psalm says, if you've been to a funeral, he's walking with us, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. But an ultimate security of, of the fact that Jesus is coming back someday. This world is passing away, but Jesus is coming back to usher in something new. See, I don't know about you, but this week I found myself praying and thinking, Jesus, will you come back already? And while that may seem like a, like a, maybe a disrespectful thing to pray, it's actually the prayer that we see people praying throughout all the Bible, throughout all of time, through most places in the world today. We are the anomaly And when we start praying that Jesus come back quickly, we're acknowledging that this world is not secure, that I don't have security here, but Jesus is coming back to give me something that is lasting, that is truly secure, and that's my destiny, not this. And again, if evil never got through, I would be so tempted just to make my life here, make my existence here, and pretend that this is going to go on forever. But these moments are reminders to me that it's just passing away. But there is security for me by trusting in Jesus when he returns. And then finally, when evil triumphs, God is giving me invisible, I'm sorry, giving me visible glimpses of his invisible kingdom. God is giving me visible glimpses of his invisible kingdom. One of the most beautiful things that happens in the aftermath of these really ugly things is the way people come together. There were news stories about people lining up outside of clinics to donate blood at 4.30 in the morning in Las Vegas because of the, of the trauma in that region. They knew they would need more blood. And so, so I mean, when, when do you see that? We just had a blood drive this week, and it was a good one, but no one was lined up at 4.30 in the morning to give blood. Um, so often in life, we're, you know, we're living, thinking about the next iPhone, the newest, best, better car, those self-driving cars, or the one with the better sound system, or we're looking at the new neighborhood going in, just wondering, like, man, I, it'd be great to live there, and we start plotting and scheming about how we're going to get there, and we're trying to beat everyone else in the game of life. But in the aftermath of these events, what, what happens? Suddenly, we start, we start to see life differently. And instead of being fixated on that next purchase, you, you grab your loved ones, and you realize that they're the, they're the ones who really matter in life. And not only that, instead of, instead of trying to build your own kingdom and take care of yourself and increase your comfort, suddenly we start being generous, right? We will give billions of dollars away to people we have never met as Americans. It was give money away to people whose lives have been rocked and, and, we'll, and we'll start being just ridiculously generous with people we've never met. And, and I see my friend, friend Frank here leads our disaster response teams and, and people are going to be traveling to regions where, that have been hit by disasters and mucking houses and helping people rebuild, helping people rebuild that they've never met, that they'll never meet again, that can never repay them. We, we live so differently and suddenly in the aftermath of these events... We're doing heroic and sacrificial and generous things. And we get, we get the vision of a life that is so different than how we normally live. It's a life that is so different, but it's a life that reflects exactly what Jesus describes as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. 
See, Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is here. And then we kind of think that Jesus left and it went away, but it's still here, but it's, but it's operating unseen, invisible, and yet it's still here. And, and when evil triumphs, it's just, it's, it's a way that God tears back the veil of this broken world that we live in and we catch a glimpse of this advancing, uh, just unstoppable movement of Jesus, a different way of life, a different value system that is so different than how we normally live, but it's so beautiful, it's so powerful, it is, it is profound. And I think God's hope is that we would, we would see this kingdom that Jesus spent so much time talking about, that he inaugurated. We would see this kingdom operating in those moments and that we might actually begin to live differently, not just in the aftermath of destruction, but every day that we would become people of his kingdom rather than living according to the kingdom, the ways of the kingdom of this world. So I warned you that this doesn't make anything that happened this week less tragic. And, and it doesn't make everything we've talked about um, everything we've wrestled with this week, rather, doesn't make it okay. And yet I hope what it enables you to do is to see that God, even when evil triumphs, God is with us and he's doing something so important, so needed. I'll take your questions. Again, the number 636-686-0140. Uh, where is God when my personal evils consume me? What is the first step in dealing with them? Man, I appreciate the honesty of this question and I appreciate the recognition of this question because, again, I think so often in life it's easier to look at someone else's evil. Right? That guy, that girl, him, you know, what, what they did. It's, 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 really, uh, it's really a mature but difficult thing, a vulnerable thing to look at your own evil. Um, I'll also say that this is, this is pretty much the question for next week that we're going to deal with. Um, we're going to talk a lot about this, where is God when, when, I'm, when I'm struggling, when I'm, when I'm failing. Um, and and let, me just, let me just say this, that uh, what you have from God in the person of Jesus, uh, what you have is a promise that even when you are at your worst, God is still with you, that he won't abandon you, he won't forsake you, uh, he won't kind of turn away and say, oh, wait, you, you just crossed the line. I, 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 can't, I can't be around you anymore. The picture we have from God, actually, and I love this, it's in the very beginning of the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve, their, their personal evil gets the best of them, and not only the best of them, but it destroys the entire creation and introduces a, a serious brokenness into our world that we're still contending with today. I love that in that moment, God knows what they did. He knows that they have let evil uh, have its way with them, and yet he comes walking into the garden to find them. He calls out to them, and he invites them to come toward him, but if you know the narrative of Genesis 3, they're out hiding, afraid of God. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes we can make when we're wrestling with our personal evils is to imagine that God is either unable to be around us or um, it's to run and hide from him. See, um, what God wants us to do in those moments is just what he wanted Adam and Eve to do. He comes walking into our moments of, uh, of most, um, when our evil is, is most consuming and inflamed, he walks into those moments calling for us. And what he's inviting us to do is, is just to cry out to him and ask for help because he's willing 
to come into that situation and help you. And, and we'll talk more about this this week, uh, next week rather. What causes the guy to do what he did to those people at the concert? Where did his heart have to be? Uh, and you know, this is the question that already people are writing about and they're trying to understand and people will authoritatively, you know, give their reason as to what's going on in our world and why people do this. And, and maybe some of that's right. Maybe something that, some of that isn't right. I don't know. And I think the thing that galls us about this is no matter how much investigation we do, no matter how many people you interview, no matter, no matter how many people who, uh, who, who knew the perpetrator, um, you're never, you're never going to know. And that makes us crazy because not knowing means that we can't stop this. It's it just knowing somehow makes us feel better and yet doesn't make anything better. Um, I, I, th- I, think, I think, again, uh, the thing that I can say unequivocally, and I don't know this guy, I don't know his heart, I don't know what his walk with God was like if he even had one, but I know that even good people's hearts can go to really bad places if we don't deal seriously with our own evil. And I know we look at people who do this stuff as another breed of human, almost like, like oh, but those people are just different. And I, man, that, that's convenient and that's easy and that maybe again makes us feel insulated or secure because our hope is maybe there aren't that many of people out there like that in the world and, and it's just a weird breed and it's just an anomaly and certainly that would never happen to me. The truth is you and I, we are capable of really awful things. And I know some of you right now are fighting against that and you don't believe me and you go, but I would never do that. I would never do that. You would never do that today. But the more we get comfortable with the evil that lives in our life, the the sin that lives in our life, the the longer we're on that slippery slope, man, you're capable of things that sitting here today, you would never, ever believe you could do. And you know how I know that? Because I I know people who've done that. And in my own life, I have done things, not this degree, but I've done things that as a younger person, I said, I would never do that. I would never do that. And yet, because I've tolerated evil in my life, I've allowed things to get a hold in me, I've, I've allowed those things to blossom and bloom, I've done things that I swore I would never, ever do that. I thought, man, that's ridiculous. I'm not that kind of person. And I've done them, and so have you, right? And so I don't know about this guy. And I, and, and I have an obsession with wanting to understand what went on, to diagnose it, to understand it. Again, Jesus' answer in all of this is, Unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you take seriously your own struggle with sin, unless you invite God into that, unless you turn away from those things, you could end up in a similar place, and it's, it's not good. It's not good. What's the functional difference between God causing evil and God allowing evil to happen? Well, this is a great question. I said earlier that we all know there's a distinction, and I think we kind of do, but I think it feels kind of messy for us or a little confusing for us. Um, so causation in physics and anything else, causation means I'm directly making something happen. So um, I'll use this as an example. Uh, if, if, I, uh, if, I, if I put this chair right here uh, and then I give it a little push, what's going to happen? It's going to fall, right? And it, it's going to fall. And, uh, and I caused that, right? I'm the one who put it there. I'm the one who pushed it. Um, that's causation. So when we deal with evil in the world, um, God wasn't causing it. God wasn't 
pulling a trigger. God wasn't making a hurricane. God wasn't, that's, that all is laid on the feet of the evil one who God will deal with in time, but not right now. Um, so God is not the one pushing it. So that means he's, he's not ultimately responsible. He's not, he's not the cause of evil. Here's where it gets confusing for us. Um, so, you know, Brent Hunsinger, who was out here singing today, he walks out on the stage and, uh, and, and he walks up and takes a look at me over his shoulder and he gives this thing a push and it falls to the ground and it splinters and it hits a kid in the head and, you know, there's all this stuff and you are watching me and, and you're like looking at me like, wait a minute, you, you saw him, he walked out, he looked at you, you knew what he was going to do, he, he knocked it over um, and, and you let him do that. Now, clearly I'm not the cause of that. I'm not the one who pushed the chair over, right? I didn't do that. But you rightly would look at me and say, is there some culpability? Do do you bear some responsibility for this? You allowed that to happen and and now the chair's broken and someone got hurt and and, and this is a mess and and why did you allow that? See, I understand the nature of that question. The cause thing, I don't understand at all because God didn't do this. But I understand the confusion over God allowing it to happen. And and the, the best way I can describe this if you're one who struggles with this question, the best thing I can say to you is, is you should become a parent someday. Uh, and if you are a parent, you need, to think, you need to think about this through your eyes as a parent. Because what I've discovered as a parent is that, you know, all day long I'm telling my kids not to do stuff. Don't hit your sister. Don't jump on the furniture. 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 And then I see, right? And then I see my son up on the furniture and I'm like, Right? And there are moments that you have to do that in life over the little things and even the bigger things. And I know some of you, your kids are much older and you're dealing with those, those, those decisions to allow things on a much bigger level. Why? Because if you kept saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, you would become a micromanager and a controller. You would destroy your relationship. You would build resentment. And frankly, you would turn your child into nothing more than an order-taking robot. See, if you're a parent, you already understand the tension of this, or if you can just put yourself in the mind of a parent, you can understand the, the, the tension of this, is that sometimes, I'm going to move this back before something bad happens. Um, uh, sometimes you allow bad things to happen because you've warned, you've told, you've instructed, and now the only thing you can do is step back and allow it because, because there's a greater purpose to allowing it. It's not that you don't care. It's not out of, well, you're going to get yours and, you know, it's, it's not out of like a, a, a vendetta or a vindictive thing. Um, it's because you know that, that something needs to happen. Um, you need to feel the consequences or whatever. Now, for us in God, it's hard for us to understand in these situations. Like, but what on earth like, could ever come out of this that God would allow that to happen? And I get that. I don't understand that either. But that just takes some humility to understand that you know, I as a parent, you may not always understand my actions. My kids definitely don't always understand my actions. And it takes some humility for me to realize I don't see the big picture here with what God is doing. But I, I know that he's good. He's not causing these things. He is allowing these things. And there must be a really good reason for it. I tried to give you three, but maybe they weren't so good. And so that's why you asked this question. Um, I'm not offended, by the way. Maybe, okay, maybe a little. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Hasn't God given each of us control to do or not do evil through our choice to love or not love him? Um, so certainly God has given us um, a, a choice. I wouldn't put it as strongly as control, um, 
because I don't think I fully have control over my impulses. Even when I'm trying the best, we'll talk about this next week. I can't control that. Paul talks about that in, uh, in, in Romans, I guess. Uh, he talks about how he's, he's stuck between the good that he wants to do and the evil that he finds himself doing, and he feels rather out of control. Um, but God does give us a choice to do good or evil. And again, I, I think when we look at the evil that happens in the world, we say, well, why wouldn't God just stop people from doing that? And my question for you is, do you want God to step in and control all of your actions? all the time? Do you want God to just, just, you know, box you in so that you've got nowhere to walk but in a straight line? Do you really want that? It'd make life a lot less complicated, wouldn't it? Um, but, but do you really want that? And I don't think any of us do. I don't think any of us really want that. We only want that for other people. We want for other people what we don't want God to do for us. Um, and so God does give us choice to do good and evil. It was, it was, there, it was there in the garden. Um, and I, th- I think the reason we struggle with doing good or evil, you know, we've got a sinful nature. We've got an evil one who's constantly deceiving us and making us, you know, question what's, what's really good and bad. I think, I think the bigger issue is, is maybe loving or not loving God. But I think the bigger issue for us, for me as a Christian, when I get myself into trouble, when this, when this, battle between good and evil becomes so strong in me, it's when I've started to doubt God's character. And I've started to believe that he's not really looking out for my best interest, that he's controlling, he wants to take my fun away, he wants me to live a boring life, he's trying to hold out on me from the really good things in life. If he just let me do what I want, I could have a better life, and he's a bully, and he's, you know, all the stuff again that we say about our parents when we're adolescents. Um, when, When I lose sight of God's character, of his goodness of what he wants for me and how he's demonstrated his love and commitment to me through Jesus. When I lose sight of that, that's when I think this battle gets really, really tough. And so, yeah, uh, for me, when I'm doubting God's character, when, when I can't trust what he tells me to do because I don't see it or I don't understand it, um, that's when I start making uh, really, really bad choices. Uh, but again, God allows us some latitude and we're okay, most of us are okay with that. We're grateful for that in our own lives. God, let me be free to make my own mistakes and I'll learn from them. Just don't control me. Um, but somehow we don't want God to do that for other people, which is, uh, is kind of weird. But again, I get that too. Um, depression is a personal evil, um, real and debilitating. Why doesn't God heal this vicious disease? Yeah, depression, I, I'm struggling with it, a personal evil. It's definitely the work of the evil one. Um, it's, a, it's a struggle. Um, it's a, it's a and again, we're, we're going to talk a lot about this kind of stuff next week. But, um, but it's, it's a real problem, and I understand that it's not just, you know, for people who are depressed, it's not just like, hey, try harder, be happy, um, buck up, look on the bright side, right? That stuff doesn't doesn't necessarily work. I think there are some had habits that make depression worse, but um, there, there is mental illness, just like there's physical illness. And so we just need, we need to acknowledge that. And I think that's what this question is, is asking. Uh, but to the question of why doesn't, why doesn't God heal? Why doesn't God choose to heal? Um, and again, we're going to talk about this next week, but you can hear it twice. Um, why doesn't God heal? The eyes of faith look at even the biggest struggles of, of life, and the eyes of faith see not, hey, God, you don't care. You're forsaking me. Life would be easier without this. But the eyes of faith look at the biggest struggles in life, the things that we struggle with most deeply, and they say, they say, God, how are you at work in this? Because I believe you are. 
Um, And I understand I've been here before in this kind of place where it seems like because God isn't healing it, that he's not active, he's not involved, he's not doing something in it. And yet, and yet the eyes of faith make me say, God, because you're not healing this, because you could, maybe you're at work in this in some other way that I don't fully understand. And help, help me see that and help me receive the benefit of whatever it is that you're trying to work out in me. Um, I also think, you know, some of the things that I talked about earlier might apply to that too. We have one time for one more? Okay. <laughs> oh, don't you love encouragers? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's all I'll say. So with that, um, yeah. That's... Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, that um, again, I think my frustration this week is I'm, I'm a fixer. I want to make things better. And I want to give you the answer that makes you go, oh, yeah, I get it. My, I'm, I'm whole and I'm not sad anymore and I'm, I'm fully trusting God and I can't do that for you. Um, but today we're going to close and we're going to sing a song. And, you know, music is powerful. I know some of you, by the way, you guys are singing awesome today. I don't know if it's the new sound system, but, like, your scene was beautiful today. So um, we're going to sing a song today as, uh, as we close. And uh, this song is a way... Even, even, if our, even if our mind or our heart isn't there, I think it's a way to coax our heart and our mind along on this journey as, as we walk through tragedies like this. And it's a way for us to remember where our hope really is. See, here's, here's the thing that makes us different as Christians. When we sing and when we worship our God, we're not singing, in, in singing to or worshiping a God who stands outside of suffering, who stands apart from evil, who just kind of looks at evil happening and goes, oh, I'm glad I'm not down there. But as Christians, as Christians, we worship a God who has, who has submitted himself into the hands of evil. And so Jesus Christ walked this earth and evil had its way with Jesus. And he endured, he experienced everything that evil can do to a person. He experienced all of it. He, 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 he let evil have its way. He submitted himself to our evil and he experienced it all. He walked through that all through it all. So that means when we walk through this, God is not a God who doesn't understand looking down and saying, oh, good luck. He's a God who intimately understands the, the impact of evil, the pain that suffering brings into our life. He, he gets it. He's experienced it. And that makes us different. What also makes us different is that we know that this God who temporarily submitted himself to evil and experienced the full weight of evil, we know that he rose victorious over evil and he's coming back someday to put an end to evil, to make us whole, to make this world right, to undo all of our, of our tragedies, all of our violence, to make us the people and to give us the world that we were meant to have in the beginning. And so today we are going to close singing a song again in defiance of our broken world, in defiance of the hopelessness and the sadness and the tragedy that's all around us. We are going to sing a song of hope in our God who knows what it is to suffer, but our God who will, who has been victorious and who will be victorious again. Stand up with me and let's sing this.